Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with State Corporate Training. Thank you to Craig Hass and his team for their ongoing support of the Collisions YYC podcast. Leadership, a term that conjures up everything from images of the hard charging Hollywood portrayal to the introverted, quiet CEO who emerges from their office with a magical path forward for the organization. No matter what comes to mind for you, I guarantee it'll be different than it was pre pandemic. After the past 18 months, the demand on leaders at all levels of the organization has changed. No longer can you rely on technical expertise alone. People on your team need you to be more human, and more importantly, human in a way that matters to them. Through my interviews with the team at SAIT, I was introduced to a more balanced approach to leadership, one that was truly a game changer for me and my perspective around what it is to be a successful leader. They call it the six leadership intelligences. Adaptability, emotional, collaborative, social, psychological, and digital intelligences. At first blush, aside from a couple, you may be asking yourself, wait a minute, what do these have to do with leadership? I'm here to tell you everything. We live in a world with a rapidly changing landscape that requires the need for human connection that has never been more important. How can you manage change if you are unable to create deep, safe, and meaningful connections with people around you? Simply put, you can't. Whether it's an entire organization, a division, a field office, or a small team, if you're not equipped with the intelligence you need, all the smarts in the world won't bring a group of people together to make the opportunities and challenges facing your organizations today. SAID is here to help you and your teams put together a package to put the skills in place for a safe, inclusive, and high-performing culture. To find out more about what they can do for you and your organization, please check them out at sait.ca slash corporate training, or better yet, open up your email and contact Craig Hess directly at craig.hess at sait.ca, that's H-E-S-S. He would love to chat with you and walk you through your needs and how they can put together a solution for you and your team. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Mr. Wellington Holbrook. How are you, Wellington? I'm doing great, Tyler. Thank you for having me on the show. It's absolute pleasure. I'd be honest. You're my I, you're my first episode back after uh, after being away for a few weeks. We'll be in uh, summer break or whatever you want to call it. So really excited to have you as my first guest. We had a great pre chat back here. I don't know, probably 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 a month ago, back in the heart of the smoky summer the summer smoky days, which right now is uh, is our first taste of fall. And I don't know. I think I might I might want to I might want to head back there. But you are the chief operating officer at Connect First Credit Unions here in Alberta. So let's just, we're in the elevator. We've got 30 floors. Give us a little bit of what's what's Connect First, because this is a relatively new entity as well in Alberta of what is a group of well-established entities. Is that correct? That's right. Over the last several years, several credit unions across the province came together and realized, like, if we really want to transform, play our role in transforming this province, we need to be a more meaningful organization. So Connect First is actually one of Canada's largest credit unions. And really, we've only started telling the world about ourselves uh, in May. So we're only a few months new to market, as you suggested. And how many locations do you, do you, do you guys have? We have 42 locations across Alberta, uh, and we're expanding. You know, we're probably doing something a lot of other financial institutions are, quite frankly, doing the opposite of. We're adding to our branch network. You know, we just recently announced we're opening a branch in Medicine Hat, and we're looking at other areas we can strategically uh, grow our business uh, is to support Albertans through this time of change. Because this is, quite frankly, I know we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today, but... <laughs> When Albertans are under pressure, I think that's when credit unions usually step up, and that's what we're trying to do. Hmm. Interesting. I have so many questions. I could go down the. Uh, I read on your website. Now I feel like I'm just being a marketer here, but you you said something that I thought was interesting. You're going kind of the opposite direction of expanding your branch network. And you guys had a line on your website that's really well written. And as a marketer, I appreciate well written <laughs> copy. But you know, 
Albertans, one that won't make you choose between the digital experience you want and access to humans who care about you. And I think that's an interesting comment you made about we're expanding a branch network in a world where, oh, e-commerce, it's all going online. No more bricks and mortar. That's done. It's a thing of the past. Oh my God, we've got these big, you know, blocks of real estate that no one's going to want at least. You guys, you guys don't believe that that's true is what I'm hearing loud and clear, which I think is maybe just an interesting kind of storyline un, unto itself, whether it's banking or almost any form of retail sector we could talk about. Mm. Well, you know, I think it's it's a complicated topic and I don't think it's that simple, right? And I think um, like many things, some folks try to oversimplify the direction the world's going in. Um, yes, the world's becoming more digital. Yes, you know, 10 years from now, people use, you know, branch-based banking way less than they do today. But it doesn't mean that there isn't still a place for community banking and how we support people. Um, you know, quite frankly, you know, we just talked a little bit about um, yeah, business earlier. You know, in the businesses that are undergoing all this transition in this province, you know, there's a tech boom happening and so on. When people are in those positions, they're often looking for experts around them to support them. And, you know, I hate to say it, but Google isn't always the best place to get advice on making important business decisions that might make or break your business. So we still believe there's a place for people in the world of banking. Interesting question. You talk about citizens, you talk about businesses, we're all, you know, we're all individuals and if we're business owners, then we're also business owners, but we're still individual citizens first. When you look at the banking environment, this is maybe a weird question, but who does the banking sector really cater to? Because sometimes as an individual, you feel that you're just getting put into a box and you get access to certain services, you know, as a business, how big of a business you are. So when you guys look at, when you look at your modern model and you look across Albertans and obviously small business and small to medium size, and that's a, that's a huge backbone of what happens. It happens across the country, but in Alberta, we've, we do have that entrepreneurial, you know, single shingle, we're going to, we're going to get it done. So when you guys look at your business model, how much thought do you put into that balance between, you know, what is the individual citizen and, and what is the needs of the business owner, which will kind of use that to pivot into some of the changes that are happening in Alberta that way. Yeah. Right on. Like, I think there's, um, there's a lot to unpack in that question, but I would say that, um, you're absolutely right. When you look at the decade that we're, we're leaning into, uh, the 2020s, it's going to be a decade of transition for Albertans in general. So, and I think the, the needs of Albertans are going to be relatively unique as a result of that. And, and starting with the entrepreneur, we're going to see a lot more business creation in the next decade than we probably have in the past. Um, in part of just because you know, our, our economy is diversifying, our economy is transitioning to new industries and so on. And that means we've got folks who are going to be doing things they've never done before. And, and when that happens, I think there's a role for financial institutions to play. To, to support people on that journey. Because, you know, when you're opening a business for the first time, as an example, like you got to make a lot of decisions. And one of the decisions you make is how do I finance this business? How do I, you know, how do I move money in this business? How do I ensure that I've got the right structure on my balance sheet? And again, you can, you can, uh, you know, try to figure it out on the fly, or you can talk to experts who can really support you. And that's, uh, that's the role I think we want to play as a credit union in this province is to help those entrepreneurs be more successful. But I think, the implications go beyond that because even for regular folks, you know, I'm, you know, who are receiving a paycheck at home, their world's changing too. And, you know, if you start working for a small business or if you start doing more freelance work or you're doing more gig work, you know, having people who understand how your life works is going to be really important to ensuring that you're making good financial decisions, you know, um, and getting the outcomes you're looking for. Do you want that home? Do you want, 
you know, the flexibility in your life and your finances uh, when your income isn't, you know, always smooth across the board. But that is, means is, 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 is it an every two week scenario or a standardized T4 approach? Because once you step out of that world, it's, it gets really, it gets back to Google. There's a lot of misinformation going on once you step out of the traditional setup, which I think we're moving towards that across the board, but globally. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Totally agree. So when you look at just that continuum of, you know, I'm starting a business. And as someone who started a business before, the banks weren't always the friendliest place to go. Oh, you have sure. a business plan? Oh, you're not in a sector we like. Oh, you're too small. You're too this. It's too risky. Or the or what they charge you for the money is high, those types of things. I've had a lot of guests on the show talking about the venture capital space, the the friends and family, the angel round. Like as that market becomes more sophisticated in Alberta and we have more companies that need different stages, I guess, where do you guys fit in that? And if we had a whiteboard and maybe a couple hours, you and I could dry out the continuum and, and then still miss a whole, probably a whole bunch of, a bunch of steps. But where would you see the, the credit unions fitting into that continuum? And is it different where a traditional bank, and I'm, I'm drawing a line of, of they're different, and maybe you can correct me there. Where would you guys all fit in amongst that mix of, I'm starting a business as an entrepreneur to, I need funding, I'm growing, I need inventory, I need staff, all those things. How, how does that play out for you guys? Right. Um, it's a, it's a great question. I, I would say that in general, financial institutions, banks, credit unions are pretty good at serving most people most of the time. I think really where, um, where there's opportunity to, to, uh, serve people better, quite frankly, is in those, those edge cases. It's, it's like, it's when things don't go perfectly according to plan that having a relationship Which with is a, a lot of the time organ- I found, but yeah, exactly. It's when having <laughs> best, a relationship best laid plans, with- best laid plans. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's when you need, uh, you know, to call a friend. And if, and if you have a relationship with your credit union, as an example, um, that's when you can say, look, you know, my cash flow is going to be funny this month, or I'm waiting for these dollars to come in from this angel investor that have been delayed for whatever reason. And I, I need to make things work. Having a relationship with your credit union means there's a good chance you're going to be able to work that out. And I'm, I'm not throwing any stones at the big banks. I mean, they, yep. they do oh, I important that. work. I, 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 I kind of teed economy. them up for you if you wanted to throw them, which is maybe, <laughs> I realize that. The reality they're they're working, their businesses are working on such a scale that it's very hard to stop and take a breath and help that one person who might be just hitting a speed bump. And I think that is what makes credit unions different. And I think it's why when Alberta is going through this transition, this economic transition and transformation for that matter, we're not the first province to have to had, have to have dealt with this. Manitoba dealt with it in the 70s and 80s. Saskatchewan dealt with it in the 80s and 90s. BC dealt with it in this, through the 70s through 90s. What's really interesting to me is who stepped up when that economic transformation happened it was the credit union. Same could be said for Quebec when they were you know, going through their challenges and troubles in the 60s, 70s, etc. So I think credit unions haven't historically played a big role in the Alberta economy. And I think this is the decade that changes. Interesting, because if you look statistically, and I've done a little bit of research on this, it has been a downward trend in the credit union space. Less less locations, it's been consolidating and changing. Clearly, you guys saw an opportunity, one, to consolidate and bring some consistency and maybe power, you know, power, strength in numbers. But also, you guys have saw an opportunity in terms of trends, and that's, that's this entrepreneur that moved to more people playing in the quote unquote, I'm just going to say non-traditional for the lack of better. It's going to become more traditional. It's less rare to have the job for 20 years with the T4 and the, and the paycheck every two weeks. But I'm assuming that was the business direction that brought you guys to the table and said, Hey, let's do this. Let's pull these together to provide support. But we see an actual, we see a business opportunity fundamentally. Yeah. You know, and I think what, you know, the beauty of what happened at connect first and all the brands that we previously represented in, the, in, in Alberta, many of which were well known in their communities 
the, you know, the leaders of those businesses had the foresight to say, look, we have to be big enough to make the technology investments we need to make to ensure that we're providing the digital experience people expect today. And now we're doing that. We're very, you know, we have, I, I think, a cutting edge app um, that we're investing heavily in that's, you know, advancing very, very regularly. There's not really a big trade-off. It's not, you know, grandma's and grandpa's credit union anymore, you know, where they, you know, have to brush the dust off the desk and uh, before you sit down and do business. We provide a modern digital experience. We're now big enough to do that, but we haven't lost our roots. And the, the fact is that we're an Alberta-based financial institution. We all live here. We make decisions here. We're small enough that we actually have, uh, you know, we take the time to understand the businesses we're in and the, and the, the members we support. So there's, a, I think it's almost the best of all worlds here. We're just big enough. And we're just small enough. And, uh, and I think that that is what makes us different than other financial institutions here in the province and, and beyond. Well, you, you touched on it, the level of personalization that we all demand, but yet it's incredibly hard to create a scale. You know, and we're not comparing, we got the Amazons over here that does a good job of feeling personalized in terms of just, you know, pulling sure. all my data together, which is what a good, you know, a quote unquote account person or someone that you've had a relationship with for 10 years, they also pulled your information together because they've known you, your family and your, and your evolution. But some of the large financial institutions, I think that's what you hear, not to throw stones, but you're right. They're doing everything at such a mass scale. You become a number and you become a set of calculations and a, and a ratio somewhere, somewhere in the exactly. mix. And as a business owner, your ratios might fall out of line, but that doesn't mean you're necessarily failing as a, as a business. Right. You're just going through a time where you want to, if I could just sit down and show you what's happening here, but that is really hard to do if you're not local, hyper-local actually. Exactly. Totally agree with that. You know, and there's two big trends in the world, right? Like globalization and localization. And it's I think so, it's uh, just so interesting into itself, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think, I think this is for Alberta, this next decade is going to be much more a conversation about localization than globalization. For the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you know, with oil and gas being such important industries to our province, those are our hyper global industries. This is going to be the decade of more localization, in my humble opinion. Well, it's, we're all looking for that level of, of, customization. We want to have feel that we have control, you know, as we have these, these devices in our hands that I hold up that we all have within arm's reach at this moment, the level to curate or the feeling that we can get exactly what we want, when and how we want it. There's no business that is, is immune from that demand. And I like what you said, like as a one-off location, it's pretty hard to support the digital needs of your customers because it's just not economically viable. But when you've got multiple locations and you've got a bit more of a critical mass, it allows everybody to kind of get that lift. And I think, that that's the whole big eats, big eats small until small comes together and joins forces and all links arms. And then all of a sudden it changes that dynamic because it still is a competitive space and people are looking for share of wallet or share of attention or, you know, eyeballs or whatever the case may be. So for you guys, when you see what's happening in Alberta, also, where do you see opportunity? I'm curious, like, are, is it more, you know, quote unquote, young people? I sound old even saying the word young people. I don't even know what that means. Um, who are you seeing come, come to the table? Because you go on your website, it's very fresh. It has, has a very like, oh, this is appealing. This isn't, this isn't your, your grandparents' financial institution. Is that what you're seeing? Or is it more a set of values that you're seeing shifting that really could be affected at, at any age, age range? We're seeing across the board all age groups, but certainly I think there's a, there's an interest um, in these segments of the population who are feeling more vulnerable right now. And a lot of those are younger folks. And so we're seeing, our membership is growing. I'm very proud to say, actually, it's been growing for the last uh, quite a while now, um, which probably is unexpected in the credit union business. I think the credit, as to your earlier point, well, that kind of goes seen, against some of the trends that yeah, I've seen or graphs that I've seen. Exactly. Exactly. But I think it's because we're trying to, you know, bring a more compelling message to those folks who feeling vulnerable, feeling stressed, 
or who are, you know, adventurers who are really, you know, leaning into this new world and going places no one's gone before, which immediately makes you less interesting to more conventional financial institutions. So we're seeing a lot of growth in those segments. And yeah, some of them are younger. And that's uh, that's certainly uh, good for us. I mean, we're very happy about that. But, um, you know, I think the other piece uh, to, to acknowledge is that the digital transformation the world's going through is actually bringing down the cost of technology greatly. And, uh, and I think that means we are being able to bring a fresher digital kind of experience to our members that probably is unexpected. Because um, you'd think in the old days, only the big, big financial institutions had the dollars to invest in technology in a meaningful way. Um, the, the, the reducing cost of technology and the abundance technology is providing is enabling us to bring you know, the same kind of digital experience as anybody has. And in fact, perhaps a more innovative experience because you know, we, we're not um, handcuffed to big, big monolithic systems and so on that we've invested in over you know, decades. We have a very simple um, uh, core banking infrastructure by comparison that enables us to be more agile and nimble. Well, and you're not also, you know, trying to bolt on new systems to legacy systems that are 30 years old, 25 years old. And because of regulations, they are locked in band-aids and bailer twine and just keep building on. And I've talked to people more in the tech side of the financial and they are quick to point out like, Hey, look at what we're, you know, <laughs> look at your big, your big five and look at what they're dealing with. And these are 30 year old systems that at the time they did. And now they've got, you know, a heavy investment in these and also the, the, the level of regulatory, which needs to be in place for sure. So thinking about this change and what we're going through in Alberta, and let's not even talk about how COVID has maybe, I think, just accelerated a lot of things that were happening and the Alberta economy shifting from what has been the tried and tested resource economy to, you know, you and I joked off, or talked about online, the over 3,000 tech startups, the booming, you know, I think booming tech to tech, tech startup ecosystem booming in Alberta was the headline on uh, CTV, uh, CTV post on, on, on Sunday. Curious what type of investment or what type of work you guys do internally to get your staff ready to be able to deal with maybe businesses they've not been exposed to before. And, you know, a tech startup has a very different balance sheet than somebody drilling a well or somebody building a building or somebody doing maybe the traditional, maybe more capital, I can touch it, feel it, repossess it if I need to versus, you know, I've got ideas, I've got eyes, I've got intellectual capital. How are you guys adapting your team to be able to even have those conversations? Right on. Great question, uh, Tyler. Um, just over a year ago, we went through a major restructuring as an, as an organization. You know, it's when we made the decision we we're going to bring down the divisional uh, or structures we had. You know, we were running different brands in different markets across the province. And we stood up a new organizational design. And we really focused on four market segments. And uh, a big one was independent business and agriculture. So we stood up a line of business focused ex- exclusively on that market and the whole goal is about upping our expertise in that space so that we can truly be business experts and support our entrepreneurial uh, members um, through their their business ventures, etc., by having a deeper understanding of the things you, you mentioned there. If you look at it from the lens of an entrepreneur, you know, um, somebody starting a business, and it doesn't matter the industry, right? It's intimidating. You're taking on risk. Uh, there's no safety net underneath you to hold you up. Uh, who can you talk to about your uh, your business? Well, maybe your spouse, maybe your friends. They may or may not be experts in business. Um, you can talk to an accountant or lawyer and they charge you by the hour. It's probably still important advice to get from time to time. But if you can build a relationship with somebody who has a lot of business expertise, who supported a lot of other small independent businesses uh, to help them grow and become medium and large businesses and have seen what works and doesn't work, it's free advice. 
that you can get. Um, and it's quite frankly, it's a friend to call when you're up against challenges um, and you don't know who else to have a conversation with. And I think that's why, you know, going back to our earlier conversation, I don't believe Google is the only form of support people who are taking, you know, thank God these people are making, taking these risks um, to grow our province and create the jobs of the future. We, we owe it to them to be there for them. So that's why we're not closing branches. That's why we're doing the opposite. That's why we're trying to project ourselves into more and more communities across the province to help more and more folks on their journey. Uh, maybe that's a really good point. Something I want to, 40, 40 branches, but how many different communities are you in? And I'm assuming like Calgary and Edmonton play a part, but Calgary, Alberta, I should say not Calgary, has a lot of small uh, communities, vibrant communities that are very much tied to agriculture, you know, in, in shape and form. But I have also heard that those, you know, and again, I think this is universal truth. Those little, those small communities are under pressure. They're yeah. shrinking, they're losing their tax base, they're losing their ability to be viable. So I guess maybe what are you guys seeing? Like how many communities are, do all those 42 branches represent almost as many communities as well? Or do you have a big portion in Calgary and Edmonton? We have a big base in Calgary. We have a, a smaller presence in Edmonton and we're actually thinking about how we will grow that in, into the future. Okay. Um, but we're in all the usual suspects, Red Deer, um, you know, uh, Strathmore, like I can go down the list. Yep. But yep. I would say, yeah, we are in a lot of smaller communities and a lot of communities who feel pretty abandoned by their financial institutions. Almost there's an anger against them and some that would have historically been known to be, um, you know, really local kinds of financial institutions as well. And we're staying committed to those communities. And I think, you know, I don't see a single one that we're in right now. Like we're in Lomond, we're in uh, Bassano. I don't see a reason to leave any of them. And it's one of the reasons we've called out agriculture as an important industry we want to be expert in to support as well, because it's agriculture, which is largely the future of many of these communities. And, and there's so much innovation happening in agriculture. I think too many banks and FIs are thinking agriculture is all about like family farms from 50 years ago. Actually, these businesses are innovating. They're, they're creating new side businesses and side hustles, you know, creating new products and so on that are happening in all these rural communities. So we see opportunity there to stay and to grow. Um, and we are growing. We're growing in pretty much every community we're in across the province right now. No, I've had a few people on from, you know, ag tech or just ag in general. And they said, who has been, who has always, who's more innovative than a farmer? Really? You're right. always finding better ways to seed plant, better ways to, you know, crop. Now you've got crop data to understand what part of your field needs this and that. They're like, you know, farmers have been innovative and willing to try new things since the beginning of time, but yet it gets looked at as this like, oh, you're doing things the old way. And they're like, that could not be more. I grew up on a farm in rural Quebec and there was always new trying and testing and what could this be? And, you know, lots, lots of talk at the coffee shop. <laughs> you right know, that, if you want to do business in a small town, just go hang out at the coffee shop and find <laughs> exactly. your way to that table that happens every day around a certain time. And that's how, that's how it works. But I think that's an interesting perspective of not to underestimate the amount of innovation and technology that's permeating that industry. And in Alberta, you're right. If you live in the center of the city, I live 10 minutes from downtown, but I can drive 20 minutes in every direction and it's ag. But it, said, it just doesn't get to be on your radar if you don't directly deal with it. And I think that's something right that as a province, we could do a better job of telling that story, which you guys are. You go on your website, you call it out as a service offering, which to me shows how important you've made it. Right on. Appreciate that. Um, and do you guys, from a role model perspective, obviously you're in Alberta and you're Alberta strong. Is there anywhere you look to? I'm always curious you know, you made the comment, we're not the first ones to go through challenges. We're not the first province or city or series of, of, of people to have challenges. Where do you guys look? Do you look to the U S do you look to other parts of Canada? Like where do you, where does your inspiration come from around what you guys are building here? Yeah. Right on. Um, 
we have this ambition to be, and this is going to sound a little bananas, really, but we have this ambition to be the greatest credit union in the world. Like, why can't we be the greatest credit union in the world? And it's such a different business model. And I tell you, I've worked most of my career in other financial institutions that are more traditional in the way they're structured. Um, we're a member-owned organization, which means everybody who does their banking with us gets a vote on how we do things and what kind of organization we want to be. And we are here to serve them um, every day. And so uh, our shareholders are our members. Our members do their banking with us, or our members are our customers, in, in the case how traditional FIs would call it out. Um, so we have a duty to them to be the best credit union in the world. It's not always to optimize profitability and so on. We have to be a profitable, well-run organization to provide the services that they expect. But when we look at others, to your question about role models, you know, every jurisdiction is different in terms of how they're structured and their regulatory environment and so on. But I look to the U.S. and I see some really interesting uh, organizations like Silicon, Silicon Valley Bank started in the 1980s in uh, well, Silicon Valley and, and literally came up with the technology industry and became tech expert because that's where it was. I think that's what the beauty of what a regional financial institution like ourselves can be, is we can take a look at the next 10 years and say, here's the direction Alberta is going in. We need to shape ourselves to meet the needs of, of Alberta for the next 10 years. Whereas if I'm a large national or multinational financial institution, very different. You can't do that. You've got to be a little bit of jack of all trades for everybody. And it, it doesn't enable you to become more specialized in the business of the province or jurisdiction you're in. So I think... I think for me, what I get excited about, there's some very successful credit unions out there. And I'll call out one, Van City Credit Union in Vancouver. They've got a very, very, I'd say, specific value proposition that really resonates with people in the lower mainland of BC. I don't think it would be particularly effective in Alberta, but they've really done a great job. And it's a well-respected institution because of that. We want to become that for the province of Alberta. That's so powerful. I love that, you know, standing for what you are and being okay for what you're not. And, you know, sometimes right. when you're so large, you want, you want to be a little bit vanilla to everybody, right? You don't want to turn anybody right. off. You want to have a vertical for every single thing, but you become the jack of all trades, master of none kind of crux of that to hear you guys talking about, because certainly by the trends and what you and I have already talked about, there's a movement, there's a level of entrepreneurship in Alberta. There's a level of willingness to take risks. But sometimes I talk to these, 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 these business owners, startups from tech or not, and well, who's going to give me the money and who's going to help me? There's lots of programs to help me innovate and be really creative. But then once I get to that go to market, there's a gap there. So I keep hearing that and hearing you talk about, yes, you're right. And there's an opportunity for people to look at credit unions as a way to kind of help feel that. If we've got all this energy moving in that direction, somebody still needs to fund the party. <laughs> right on. Exactly. And how does, you know, where does the credit unions fit in against the, the private sector from venture capital is at all its different forms. Even that term is broad from you know, the angel investor rounds right up to series A, series B. Would you guys find yourselves participating at that level? Or is that more of a church and state when it comes to companies accessing that type of funds versus accessing your funds at the same time? Right on. So a lot of my background has been in private equity and venture capital and, and okay. uh, over the last, you know, almost 30 years now. When I look in the mirror, sometimes it kind of freaks me out a little bit, to be honest <laughs> with you. Like the, the, the face in the mirror doesn't always match well, the like one time, I, I time is Time is affecting us all, <laughs> construct or not. <laughs> the passage of days is real. Totally, totally. But I, you know, um, so I have a fair amount of experience. And one thing I know is... Um, you know, uh, as a financial institution like a credit union, to get into those businesses, you got to be really, you really got to know what you're doing. 
What we do see ourselves doing is building some partnerships with angel investor groups, uh, venture capitalists in the marketplace to start figuring out how we're going to work together. One thing we just did is we made an investment in a fund called Emertech. Um, okay. That actually was championed by a credit union out of Saskatchewan, focused on the agriculture industry. They'll be, we're going to be looking at how we can help them make investments in Alberta-based uh, ag tech businesses. And um, excellent. And we're doing this to learn because we we recognize we're on a journey too. Uh, we're not going to create, you know, build Rome in a day. We need to, to create this the greatest credit union ever. We need to learn, and it's building relationships like that that are going to help us do that. Is it safe? And again, I'll make an assumption to be okay to be wrong. Oftentimes, at the at the large level of financing, you'll see mix. You'll see large financial organizations. I shouldn't even say financial organizations and 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 venture capital. And but at the smaller, it always felt like either or. It was either kind of friends or family, or you're in with your bank, or you're going down the you know do seventy pitches in a day kind of road to try to get somebody to come on board. Do you see that kind of democratizing? And as like you said, making partnerships not only for these large, you know, 20, 30, $50 million investments, but what about when we're talking about the $500,000 investments or the million dollar investments that I need to get my inventory? Are we seeing also an evolution of the industry where there's going to be more of a blended approach where, am I right to say that they didn't used to be blended at that level? It was kind of one or the other. Yeah, I, I think you're totally right. Actually. Yeah, again, um, I'm, I'm okay to be wrong if I throw that. Out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I think it's really efficient to go out and do these big deals, right? Which is why a lot of, you know, the big investors or the big banks, et cetera, they focus on that top end of the market. It's just an easy thing to do. You do one deal, it's huge, it's profitable, makes sense. Smaller end of the market, I think it's been more challenging for larger financial institution, uh, institutions to efficiently serve people in that end of the market. When you're you know, there's not a lot of money to be made in today's interest rate environment by providing somebody with a $200,000 loan. It sounds yeah, like we should do lots of money, but there isn't. But I think that's um, that's the, the the messy ground, for lack of a better word, that we mm-hmm. want to sort of cover a bit better. Because I think that's where a lot of those stressed and underserved folks are. Um, I'm, a, I'm a smaller business that's growing. I might have attracted some, some investment, some angel investment to get me going. But yeah. now, um, as I'm starting to really ramp up, I need resources, and there isn't a lot of outside of formula lending available. I think yeah. you know the um, the decentralized financial markets are going to grow, and I think there might become more options there. But nobody's giving away their money. There's going to be you know trade offs on that end too. Probably more you know faceless, heartless money in some respects. Yeah. No, I so I think it. again, credit unions play a role where you know relationship based uh, banking is still going to play in even those smaller ends of the market. And again, having a friend to call when you're, when you don't have a CFO down your, your hallway, who's an expert in making some of the, the financial calls you need to make. We're going to be there for that. Which is small businesses. Most of us do not have that. Exactly. <laughs> do not have that luxury. <laughs> what, what about, and this may be a weird question. What about the risk? Like, do you guys get together with your shareholders, which are your members, which are, They've all got, we've all got skin in this Alberta game and say, Hey, are we willing to take some risk? Cause I know the challenge that eliminates a lot of small companies is they just don't meet the risk criteria. You know, you're just too risky. You don't have anything we can back as collateral. And I understand the large institutions and their, their structures don't allow some, maybe some of that individualization, but is that a mandate that you guys decide you start the beginning of the year and say, Hey, this year we're willing to take on more risk because it's to support Alberta based companies. And I'm okay to take a risk on my neighbor. Like to literally run that right down to its finest point. Um, 
I think we do have more flexibility to, um, and it's not that other, the larger banks don't, right? Like, I think it's just a matter of the scale and efficiency models that they have don't enable them to take a breath to say, okay, let's just take a look at, you know, Jane's financials here and see if this makes sense. Because um, I don't think we do take undue risk as a business. We take smart risk, but we take smart risk because we actually take time to understand our members. And I don't think a lot, you know, every other financial institution does that. Having said that, you know, I was saying earlier, um, it's a myth that credit unions can be nonprofit organizations. We have to be profitable for a reason because that builds capital that enables you to fortify your balance sheet so you can take risk. <laughs> so, so like these things kind of go hand in hand, right? Exactly. Now we're a regulated financial institution um, by CUDGE, you know, the provincial uh, government uh, mandates the regulations. We, we follow them. So there are some restrictions, but I would say this, if, if I could make an appeal to Albertans, is you might say to yourself, I don't need a credit union. I don't need a regional financial institution because the big bank uh, does everything I need. That might be true. They might do everything you need. But when you make a choice to support a local financial institution, your credit union, what have you, what you are doing is supporting their financial ability to support your neighbor when they need help. And and so my appeal, and, and I believe in this fully, like I've, I've dealt with regional financial institutions personally for a long time, because I, I believe that there's something to be said. You know, like, um, do you support the businesses that do good in your community or do you support the businesses who take repatriate that profit and invest it in somewhere else, another country, another part of the world, and in, perhaps in parts of the world you wouldn't want to support? Or do you want to support organizations that are going to make your community better? And, and my personal view is you want to support organizations here. Have you... Have you seen that? Have you, from listening and talking, it sounds like you guys have a very close relationship with your customers, with your constituents. Uh, has COVID even driven us? I feel like COVID has made that so much more real. Like I think it was, again, there was so yeah. many movements that were happening and I believe COVID accelerated a, a lot of things in all kinds of different directions. We won't say good or bad, but in this case, I'm choosing to, I'm looking for, I'm silver liner hunting here on this one. <laughs> yeah, I totally do believe in that actually. And, uh, and, you know, it was challenging because I think the initial reaction was, oh, my goodness, like we're going to lose uh, what, you know, our local kind of feel because mm-hmm. we're, for a little while we weren't seeing our members in person anymore. Right? right. Having said that, 90 plus percent of our members, we don't see in person anyway. Right. Like they deal with us yeah. digitally and they they talk to us once every five years when they have a big decision to make or something like that. But uh, actually what it has done is brought us closer to our members for sure. Like we never turned off the taps on Alberta um, in the last year when some of the other financial institutions kind of did. And we walked into, you know, even in the more corporate space, we were walking into syndications. uh, You know, those are larger deals to support larger businesses and their investments in building out subdivisions of Calgary or building out new businesses, making big investments in businesses. Other banks were walking away. Uh, for various reasons, and we were leaning into it. And so I think if if nothing else, it's fortified this this recognition that there's a big role for credit unions to play to support businesses here and to support people here. Like, you know, um, <laughs> I've seen everything. I've seen decisions where, and I'm, again, not throwing stones at any other financial institution, they make decisions for the right reasons for their organizations. Keeping in mind, most big banks, their mission statement starts with our mandate is to maximize return on capital and blah, 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 to provide a good dividend to our shareholders. Probably uh, summed, uh, summed them all up in, <laughs> right. like, in, in Cole's notes. So they make good, you know, the best decisions yeah, they can. But I've seen situations where mortgages have been turned down because they're too big and we're not investing in Calgary anymore. And sometimes in well-heeled, strong, like financial, financially well, um, uh, healthy people, 
are in, you know, being d- disappointed. They, by they their fall victim of a bigger decision that isn't necessarily relevant to the metrics of their situation. Like there is, hey, exactly. this is a risky deal, or no, we're just not investing in this jurisdiction anymore. That could, yeah, no, that kind of pisses me off a little bit, but um, you know what? But in a good way, <laughs> like that yeah, creates yeah. a bit of angst. <laughs> and I think it's creating a groundswell of, you know, goodness for for us and for credit unions and, and regional financial institutions who are who are seeing things through a very different lens than that. I appreciate that the hyper local and, you know, I think it, it COVID, it brought a lot, it brought a lot of attention on a lot of inter- different things that, you know, never, never waste a good crisis coming out of it. What did we learn? What, what can we do different going forward? And, and you know, not hopefully, hopefully I use the word out of it pretty loosely right there based on kind of current events, but I would, I choose to be, I choose to be positive. Wellington. So it's the only way to, to get through the day. When you see some of the road ahead, and I don't want to get too much down there, like the, well, we've got municipal elections, we've got federal elections, provincial, we got all kinds of things going on that could change the landscape. I guess, what are some of the constants you guys obviously have leaned in on, on ag and, 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 this, and as a business, anything else you see in Alberta? Like, you know, I know obviously the tech sector is an easy one to talk about, but what are some of the trends and things that you guys see just like, you know, bust out, dust off your crystal ball a little bit? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think uh, other larger trends is we're going to see more on, more and more onshoring of uh, manufacturing. Hmm. I think, that's um, interesting. you know, I, I, um, I was recently uh, talking to uh, someone I think very highly who leads a big manufacturer here in the province. Um, she, you know, she was sharing that like they're they're growing quickly. You know, they can't get people fast enough, and manufacturing isn't probably a sector that we would always think about. Um, uh, it's it's not on see- the list of sexiest sectors to be. I'll just to be not to criticize sure. manufacturing, but it it doesn't get talked about. It becomes just those that thing that happens. I totally agree with you. And, you know, what we're learning also from COVID is, you know, global supply chains break down and there's space for more local uh, production of goods that uh, sometimes we take for granted. Other industries like consumer packaged goods, you know, Canada has been a net importer of so many uh, consumer packaged goods yet, you know, we produce the raw products here. Why aren't we producing more of the, uh, yeah, no, we send them away to then, buy, to then buy them back. Yes, I know. Yeah. Buy them back at 10 X the, the commodity <laughs> price. Right. And, and, uh, and, you know, and all that value gets created somewhere else. I think there's a, 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 a surge of businesses that are really uh, moving to those uh, those sectors. And, you know, um, you know you're seeing uh, you know, in the alcohol uh, business, for example, you know, so much, you know, what, 20 years ago, like literally 80% of the world's supply of alcohol was produced by just a few companies and like global titans. You could name them off. Yeah, absolutely. And and now more and more of that's being produced locally. So I think there's a there's a lot of different sectors, but technology for sure is a big one. What I love about technology is that you know it, it is becoming a truly democratized industry. You can do it from anywhere. Why wouldn't you do it from here? You know we have some of the smartest people in the world, the most educated people in the world. Why wouldn't we want to try and ch- uh, champion that here? Certainly within financial services, I'm seeing some good things. I, and I I would be remiss if I didn't share this story. So. You know, as a as a you know a, a Alberta-based financial institution, um, us like so many others, you know, we would go to the same same old well for technology partners um, that would be sometimes here, some often not here, somewhere else, and that's fine. But you know, you see great technology startups in the fintech fintech space who are looking for partners and someone to give them a chance. We want to do a better job stepping up and supporting them. And, uh, and I think what you're going to start seeing in the future, in, in the nearer future, hint, is that you're going to start seeing some <laughs> partnerships yeah. with wink, local wink, fintechs. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> exactly. Um, local fintechs that are, you know, have global potential to, to potentially change the world. And we're going to start working with them here to, to see how we can help them you know, build their business. 
well, it's a bit if you can't beat him, join him kind of kind of mindset. Not not as not as blatant as that, but it's easy to look at it as a conflict as 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 a conflict or as a fragmentation or as like someone who's going to take market share. But you're right; it's better to look at what are the macro trends that are happening, and if this is something that someone else does well, and we believe in it for the greater good, let's bring it let's bring it together, which is right. not which is easy to talk about hypothetically until it comes to you know maybe creating a partnership with someone that at first blush maybe looked like a competitor or, or someone exactly. that could that, that you're all fighting for that same share of, of in this case wallet li- li- literally and figuratively uh, interesting well i think it's an interesting road ahead and i i'm, I'm very optimistic this hope that the theme of this podcast is let's talk about reality but let's be optimistic about alberta any red flags, anything that if you could bring out the, the, the magic wand and say, you know what, I, I'd like to wipe that obstacle just out of the way. And maybe it's beliefs, maybe it's policy, maybe it's, you know, X, Y, Z, anything that you would, that you would change that just not saying it's wrong, but would make things better if it maybe was different. <laughs> you know, the biggest single thing we can all do, in my humble opinion, um, to, to create a, the prosperous and, and I think really bright future all Albertans are hoping for is to, to start looking at the world with the glass half full and not glass half empty. It's really easy to get f- angry, frustrated on all the things that haven't gone right for this province in the, in the past many years. And, and there's lots to, lots to gripe about, to be fair. But the flip side is there is so much promise and potential, but we have to believe in it. And I tell you, like, so my, uh, my uh, oldest daughter is going off to university and she, uh, she's quite excited about uh, her future and so on. And, and what I, get sad about is when I see so much negativity around, um, you know, her group of friends and beyond who are um, not seeing a bright future. And they're wondering, like, is our world going to be a darker place to live than the past world? Actually, I, I believe it's going to be a brighter world. Like, I think there's so many problems we can solve. We will solve. We have to believe we can solve them. And that includes our economic challenges in Alberta. We're going to overcome them. And a decade from now, I have a feeling we're going to be living in a in a really great place, um, a place that people who maybe are giving up and throwing the towel might regret having done that. It's interesting if you've you know, you know kind of come to age and come of age, I should say. And I've got a niece and nephew that are both you know on the island right now, and I don't see that there's no intentions of them to return, but they kind of lived the last five years, and now they're you know respectively twenty and eighteen, and the last six years has not been a great story. You went from not really knowing what was going on in the world around you to being you know kind of fifteen to twenty, and maybe starting to pay a little bit of attention. I don't know how much attention I was paying at that age, but they both chose to go somewhere else, and it's a beautiful part of the world and all that. But sure. when I talk to them, there is no like I'm going here for a period of time and I'll come back. And I think we all do. There is sometimes you have to leave to really appreciate what it was. But you're right; it hasn't been a positive storyline, and this you know. I think it'll be a really amazing place in 10 years from now, but it's still a pretty amazing place now. It's just, we have so much going for us now. And like, I like you just said, if it's going to happen, why not here? And I think that that, you know, we're being a bit philosophical and a bit, yeah. you know, but glass half full starts with believing it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. 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 Yeah. And it's so, yeah. What you, what you, what, what you think, what you manifest comes true. If you look for negative, that's all you will find. Anyone who exactly. says that there's nothing going on here is because I haven't taken 10 minutes to look because there is so much going on here. And exactly. part of even doing this show is to bring some of that to light. And it's like, Hey, just go through my guest list and take a look. There is so many different pockets of things. And, but ultimately understanding what you guys are doing as a credit union, as a financial institution to backstop, to, to be the backdrop for facilitating enablement support, but doing it with a really community-based model. I think that's a cool differentiator that you guys call out like, straight away on, on your website. It's, you don't, you don't hide it, which I, which, which I love. You bring it out and it sounds like you guys are absolutely living it. Mm. Thank you, Tyler. Appreciate that. Wellington, so good to chat with you. I feel we might, I might be tapping you again in the future for your point of view, point of view on different things, but um, 
any, what's the best way for, you know, obviously check out your website, connect first. You guys have a great site, really easy to, to navigate. Um, but if someone wants to reach out and get in touch with you, cause I know you're, you're a guy who puts, puts himself out there. I know you've got a podcast. So what's the best ways for people to find out more what you're up to? Right on. Follow me on LinkedIn. Um, easy way to connect. Um, you can certainly see me on Twitter or where else am I? Instagram. <laughs> all the places. <laughs> all, all the places. places. All the standards. All the standards. But yeah, if you reach out, um, you'll certainly hear from me. Fantastic. Well, Dan, I loved our conversation and I love what you guys are what we're all about. Keep up the good work. And uh, I look forward to chatting again for a, for a part That's two somewhere deal. down the line. Sounds great, Tyler. Thanks for having me on the show. I really enjoyed it. 